scary ghosts, creepy serial killers, all things that go bump in the night. Enjoy the view from the open shutters. <laughs> Hi, Creepsters. This is Barry Marino, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Open Shutters. Today, we're talking to a young man who, to whom he and his wife were hit by a vehicle where you were walking in the park. Is that correct? Uh, no, we were actually walking down our road. You were walking on the road where you live, right? Correct. Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, it was... Uh, the perpetrator of this uh, hit-and-run accident got into no trouble at all. So we have with us today John Palmer, and what we're talking about is we want justice for Katie Palmer. John, you've been on several different other uh, uh, podcasts, haven't you? Yes, sir, I have. I heard you on Morbid, and that, when I heard you, I said, I got to get that man on my show. <laughs> I, I, I just... And you're, you're in Texas, and I'm in the neighboring state of Louisiana, so I totally understand everything you've gone through. Now, what I'm going to do now, John, is uh, – oh, that's one more thing I have to do. I have to tell everybody where, Rob, where Bob and, and Philip are. Philip couldn't make it today, and Bob had a gig because he does he – does like, he does like a hauling and, and – and transportation stuff and he had a gig that was too good to pass up but you got me and i'm gonna get it out there anyway my big old italian mouth is a big help to you let me tell you all right john we're gonna um i'm gonna turn everything over to you and let you tell uh everyone what happened well barry um <clears throat> i'd first like to say thank you thank you for allowing me to come on your your podcast uh, without oh. you and everybody else, our voice just wouldn't be heard. So, uh, first oh, and foremost, I, thank you. John, it is my pleasure. I what, would be upset if you wouldn't have come on my podcast. <laughs> what what you all do is amazing. You give victims a, a voice, um, a voice that yes. we normally wouldn't have. So, um, again, yes. Barry, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're really similar to Ash and Elena in our, our quest for justice. Outstanding. So. Um, well, Barry, I, I guess I can get started about what happened that that morning. Um, yeah, well, well, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your family and about what kind of person Katie was? Okay. Well, like you stated, um, we, we live in Denison, Texas. Denison, Texas yeah. is not a very small town. It's got about 25,000 people. Um, We've lived here ever since we got out of the Navy. I, I was stationed in Gulfport, Mississippi. So I've, that's not far from my house either. I was out there recently. I have been to New Orleans plenty of times on, on weekend <laughs> trips. Um, so we moved here after uh, my contract was up. Um, funny story behind that. I was deployed to Japan and uh, talked to Katie. And uh, we had just gotten married about three years prior. And she informed me that um, her and her mother had bought a house. <laughs> oh, and, uh, wow. <laughs> I, I said, bought a house where? She goes, Denison. 
said, you've been gone. We been, had been married for about three years, almost four. And I'd been gone for two, two and a half of the four years. And she said, um, I want to be closer to my family. And um, I want to raise my kids where I'm from. And that's Dennis. Yeah, that's, that, that's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know what? Couldn't argue with that at all. Uh, we, we moved here and, um, I love this, this town, this, this town has been very supportive of us through everything that we've gone through. Um, Katie was a school teacher here in Denison, Texas. Uh, she taught oh. middle school science. <clears throat> she brought a STEM program to her middle school and, uh, she, she loved those kids. She loved those students just like they were oh. her own. Uh, she she actually oh, got I've had to teach. teachers like that. Yo, she was she loved it. Um, and I've said this many times also. You know, um, I think to be a good teacher, you almost have to be a good student, and you have to be able to want to learn uh, new things. And um, you know, STEM was right up her alley. Uh, exactly. I think she got. I think she almost got more out of it than than the students did. So she she loved science, loved nature, and uh, just oh. um, just a great soul. So, oh, she just sounds so awesome. She was she just a gem. She was fantastic. Um, so we came to Denison, and that's where we raised our, our two kids, Bella and Brandon. Um, oh, and how old are they? Bella's 16, and Brandon is 13, fixing to be 14. Oh, just the, wor the worst age to lose a parent. Yeah, Terrible. I don't know if there's ever, a, you know, a, a good age where it makes it easy, whether you're you're 40, you're 14, but, um, well, um, I, I was in my fifties when I lost my parents, but I, I think it was 51 for my dad and 57 with my mom. And one thing I learned from that is nobody loves you like your mama. You're right. I wasn't at New Orleans. <laughs> you're right. Yes, sir. So now let's, uh, let, let, uh, tell us what happened. So, the night before, Katie told me to wake her up when I went walking in the morning. I would, my normal routine was to, most days, to go work out in the backyard and then go take a walk or go jog down our, our street. And yeah. um, Katie never went with me ever in the morning to go walk. So after I got through working out in the morning, um, I sent her a text or called her. She didn't answer. I went and woke her up said hey let's let's go for for a walk um at first she said no and i said hey remember you told me that you wanted to go walk and she she got up it's the first time first and last time um she went oh, walking with man me. i went and uh woke up my son brandon uh who would normally go walk with me he's walked with me many times in, in the morning and so thankful that that he he didn't walk with me um, just let him know that we were going to go out for a walk and we'd be back soon. And then, uh, we, we let our, our daughter Bella sleep. So Katie and I set out to go for a walk. We live on, uh, Glenwood drive, which is a two lane country road. It's asphalt paved, uh, no sidewalks, just a two lane road and then grass. Yeah. So yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yes, sir. So we, we headed out, east, uh, pardon me, we headed out uh, west on Glenwood and started to go for a walk. Uh, Glenwood, just to give you a little background, like I told you, it's a two-lane uh, country road. 
that dead end yeah. at, at the end, and, and it's it's about a half a mile long. So we were going to go walk down Glenwood and just come back, and uh, we had decided not to go walk on the golf course that morning. There's an old golf course by us with some paved trails. Um, there was some dew on the grass. This was at the height of – well, this is when COVID started to really impact – everything. Katie was a teacher, of course, and um, she did remote teaching and the kids did distance learning. So they didn't have to log yeah. in until nine or 10 and she didn't have to teach till about 10 or 11. So she didn't want to get her legs wet. She wanted to come back home and uh, take a nap uh, before she was going to go teach. So yeah, um, decided to forego walking on the golf course, kept walking down Glenwood. There's um, some undeveloped lots on the into Glenwood and she had uh, she had seen some killdeer birds that were nesting there and you know what killdeer birds are they're <coughs> birds that nest on the ground um, like I said oh, she yeah. was a, she she was a science teacher and loved nature and um, yeah she she studied biology in college and loved ornithology and she loved these birds so we walked down there looked at from the roadway, looked over the undeveloped lots and didn't see any birds. And she said, Hey, let's just go ahead and turn around and go home. I said, all right. So then we're headed East on Glenwood drive, walking alongside the road, facing traffic. And, um, we get back to that golf course. And, um, that's when we were hit. We were, oh. Hit from behind by my neighbor, Corey Todd Foster. He crossed oh. over the roadway and hit us both from behind, um, knocked us out of our shoes, and oh sent us God. about 70 feet onto the golf course. Um, was, uh, was he drinking? So when DPS arrived, they mentioned – Numerous times that he smelled of alcohol, they could smell it coming mm. from his breath. Okay. Oh uh, well, he he he, he and they didn't take a, a breathalyzer test or anything. I they say. did. So they did. They did. So, but it but it was an hour after, and he blew a point zero six. So still, I think we, uh, isn't that above the legal limit? Legal limit isn't in Texas legal? is a point zero eight, but again. He blew a point zero six. Point zero five, I think, in Louisiana. Well, in Texas, it's point zero eight, and he blew a point zero six fifty minutes after. Okay. Um, yeah. And I believe that if you're driving on the wrong side of the roadway, um, that that to me would kind of point to the yeah. fact that you were yeah. impaired and you um, of course you were not driving uh, with with due care, of course. So we 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 got hit. And um, that's when I saw Katie. Katie was oh. propped up on her left elbow. Um, she was looking towards me, uh, but not at me. And um, I wanted to go get up and go walk over to my my uh, my wife, and um, Barry uh, couldn't. Um, I felt like I had a ratchet around my, my midsection and it was just tightening. I, I, I couldn't get up. Oh. Um, so I started to crawl over to her and I started to yell for somebody to call the cops, somebody to call nine, nine one, one. 
And um, as I was crawling over to my wife, that's when Corey Foster identified me and said something to the effect of, I'm so sorry I didn't know it was you, John. I, I, I couldn't see. And he made a gesture like he was trying to wipe off his windshield. And um, Oh, so it would have been okay if it was someone he didn't know. I, I don't know, and I thought that was a very odd statement. That Yeah, that is a very odd statement. It's like, oh, if it was a stranger, I wouldn't care, but I'm sorry that it's you, John, because you're my I, neighbor. I, I, I think that... That's, I, I think that his cognitive state probably wasn't where it should have been uh, for him was, to get in a car and drive. And that was about 7.45 in the morning. That was his second dick move. His first one was hitting you. <laughs> so we, um, I, I got to Katie and I noticed um, I, I laid her down on her back and um, she wasn't breathing. So... That was my main concern. I was begging for her to breathe. Um, oh. At this point, a neighbor was coming by, stopped. Saul, Corey was on the phone. He said he hit us. She, she ran down, and um, she was sitting next to Katie. And we both were just trying to get Katie to breathe. And finally, she lets out this gasp for air. Oh, I got a cat fight going on here. All right, stop. <laughs> That'll be edited out. <laughs> That's fine. We so, have we have two cats and they hate each other. <laughs> I can tell. I can absolutely tell. <laughs> Maybe we might leave that in to you know because we we getting kind of serious. That might be a little comment. Ambrose, get away from her. All right, yep. Get away. Okay, go. He's going away now. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry. Wow. I think I'm going to get Bob to edit this out. That's fine. <laughs> Good. Go over there. Okay. All right, I'm sorry. Continue. That's fine. So, um, Katie let out this gas for, for air, and uh, that was was a relief. You know, she was breathing about yes. every 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. It was a labored breath, uh, but she was breathing. And that's when I noticed that her eyes were fixed and they were staring straight up. And I was begging for her to blink. And um, she. Oh, my God. She that's she terrible. she wasn't blinking. And so at about this point, we started to hear the uh, first responders started to hear the, the paramedics, and the firefighters started to hear the sirens off in the distance. And they showed up relatively quick. I mean, you know, I didn't have a watch, but, you know, around 10, 15 minutes, you know, pretty quick from when, when we were hit. Uh, they showed up and they immediately started to work on Katie. I heard him mention a helicopter um, because she was in such bad, bad shape. She was in a horrible condition. And so they asked me if I had gotten hit and I said yes. And they loaded me up and put me in an ambulance, and then um, I was driven to the ICU here in Denison, Texas, and Katie was put into a helicopter, and she was flown to a trauma center in Plano, and um, that's the, the last time I saw Katie that day. Oh, man. Oh, that is, that, that, that's, I, that's heartbreaking. Now, it, it's, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm so sensitive, and things like that make me cry. 
Now, Barry, what, what happened after um, is infuriating. So, yes. Tarif Al-Khatib, who was the DPS officer, was a responding officer, arrives on scene uh, approximately 8.15, okay? Mm. So, we, we were hit at 7.45, and he was the last person on scene. The helicopter from South Sherman beat him there. He was at his house for some reason and um, wasn't out patrolling, but he responded. And his house is a whole lot closer than the DPS office was. So he casually took his time and got to us at about 8.15, spoke with first responders for a brief minute. He came to talk to me in the ambulance. Um, He asked me what had happened. I told him, you know, where we were on the road. He crossed over and hit us from behind. Told him he was going too fast. And then he went out and he uh, engaged with Corey Foster. Again, Corey Foster is the man that was driving the truck that crossed over the roadway um, and caused the death of my wife, Katie Palmer. He started to mention that he could smell alcohol on Corey's breath. And, you know, again, Barry, not that he could smell alcohol. You know, he, he wasn't sweating it out. It was coming from his breath. Okay. Which means he was drinking. Uh, which means I think there's a pretty strong possibility that he, he absolutely was. Um, he started to question him on when his last drink was. And Corey told him that his last drink was at seven. Then he told him it was at eight and told him he was at nine. Then told him he really didn't know when his last drink was. Um, said he only had five drinks the day before. Okay. Yeah. And, um, then they did the field sobriety tests. Um, Corey walked a, a line. Um, officer said he passed that. Then he did the horizontal gaze test. Okay. And you're, you're familiar with what that is, where officer holds a pin up and, you know, moves yeah, it left and to they, right. Yeah, and they see the, eyes. the eyes move, yeah. And he said that, and I want to come back to this. This is because this is important. He said that he had no clues on the horizontal gaze test. And then he did a one-legged stand test, and I believe he failed that. Um, couldn't yeah. hold his leg up for the 30 seconds, couldn't count, and was shaking so bad, I thought he was going to snap in half. And eventually fell over onto his other foot and started laughing and said, you know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in my work boots. Um, mind you, he had just hit two people. And he started laughing. Yeah at this failed sobriety test. So <clears throat> two pedestrians. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um three Falcati then says, well, we need to go ahead and give you a, a portable breathalyzer test. We I, I'm gonna need you to blow. Corey blows into a PBT. Um Al-Khatib never shows his body camera what the score is. Never. Uh Corey blows into this PBT and um Tarif makes comments of you must've drank a whole lot last night because to be where you're at right now and it's still going up and it's still going up from here making comments like that, but never saying what the actual score was. So we come to find out um, because if you watch it later on, he talks to another officer and says that he PBT at a 0.06. Okay. Again, that's almost an hour after he hit us. Common sense would tell you that he was a whole a lot higher than a point zero six. Um, when the accident happened, yeah. Correct. Now, I told you I wanted to go back to that horizontal gaze test. 
Um, everything that I've researched shows that if somebody blows a 0 0.06 into a portable breathalyzer test, that they should have at least three to four clues of intoxication because that's an involuntary eye movement. Um, I, I believe that this trooper, because of his um, connection to Corey, um, possibly was not telling the truth that he had no clues on that test. And I tell yeah. you the relationship there, because since this has happened, we found pictures of um, Tariq Al-Khatib, his wife, Corey Foster and his wife at parties together months before hanging out. Uh, the mm. wives used to work together as hairdressers. So I believe that there's a very strong personal connection there. And I don't know at yes. what point, <laughs> and I don't know at what point Tariq decided that he was going to help his buddy out. So Tarif makes multiple phone calls to his supervisor, um, minimizes the situation, tells the supervisor that Katie just whacked her head real good, um, which whenever everybody left the scene and he's talking to the other troopers, uh, when describing the scene to other troopers, he states he knocked the effing S-H-I-T out of her. Oh, so he's telling oh, his supervisor one thing and then they're all talking together. Um, it's a totally different narrative. Um, and it's it was infuriating. Um, when Tarif was done with Corey, um, prior to everything wrapping up at the scene, one of the troopers walks up to Tarif and says, we're getting blood, right? And Tarif says, no, we're not going to do that. All that, referring to the blood, pardon me, referring to the alcohol still in his blood, was from last night. That's not an excuse. Um, you you overdrink the night before, and you're cognitively impaired to the point to where you cross over the roadway and no, hit two people, if he, killing one, if he, that's on you. If he's, if he's still intoxicated from the night before, he had a lot to drink. I and, and who's to say that he he stopped drinking, right? No, I don't believe he did. So he declined one word to, of that. He declined to go take Corey to the hospital, and instead he loaded Corey up in his cruiser and drove him to his home, which was two tenths of a mile away. And oh, that's nice. As he loaded Corey up into his vehicle, he turned off his body camera and he turned off all the audio and video recording in his unit. Um, oh, this, is, this just smells so much, doesn't it? And PBTs are inadmissible in criminal court. So al alcohol can never be brought up because Tarif Alcati wanted to do his buddy a solid after he killed my wife. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is infuriating. Um, what happened? Uh, did he go to trial or anything? So I'd love to get into that, Barry. <clears throat> so what happened is that after, um, after this all happened, um, we hadn't heard anything from the district attorney's office. So I called up there and I asked to speak to Brett Smith. Brett Smith is a district attorney in Grayson County. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I talked to Brett. Brett told me that he was uh, aware of the case, but hadn't gotten any information on it. Um, so I probably uh. knew more than he did at that time, which is fine. It makes sense because he doesn't have any of the information to go off of. Um, he said, as soon as we get it and uh, we have a chance to review it, then kind of one of those will we'll be in contact. Okay. All right. So. Yeah. They look like when they say, I'll look into it. Sure. That's so, that's, you know, it was um, probably a couple weeks later, Katie's mom, Rhonda Neal, wanted to know what was going on with this case. That, that, that was her daughter that was hit and killed. Okay. Yeah. Um, Rhonda is the one that had to go get my kids and wake them up that morning and tell them that their parents were hit. And she didn't know if she, she didn't know if we, we were alive or dead, but she got them and um that is i i couldn't think of a worse way to be woke up as a child than to have somebody come in there and just say your parents have gotten to an accident we don't know what the status is but you need to get your clothes on or we need to go that's what my kids oh. woke up to on april 21st so that, that Rhonda wanted like, answers. that's a nightmare oh it's horrible Rhonda wanted answers and um she called brett smith herself and she called him to the office. He wasn't in the office. <clears throat> so she found his number on social media. Okay. She gives him a call. Good old social media. There you go. Brett had his number. Brett had his personal number on social media. She called it. Told him who she was. And she wanted to know what was going on with the case. Well, um, instead of acting like an adult, uh, Brett chastised her for calling him <gasps> on his personal number, said you should oh never my. call an elected official, and um, had oh. no clue who Katie was, which contradicts what he told me, and said he had no clue about anything about the case or Katie, and oh. ended the phone call. Well, that's a public servant for you, you know. You know, and uh, <laughs> no one held the gun to Brett's head to have him run for district attorney. Okay. Brett knew what he was getting into. Um, that's not a nine to five job. Okay. Especially when you're dealing with victims and you're dealing with their families. My brother worked in um, the Harry Connick senior. We worked with him when he was a D my brother's was a prosecutor his entire career. And uh, it, he was constantly involved, very, very hands-on in the case. And then when he left, Mr. Connick's office, he moved to Baton Rouge and became a federal prosecutor. And I'm telling you, he always had something. He, and he always was on top of everything that happened. So there's no excuse for that. None. None. <clears throat> Whatsoever. So, <clears throat> as you could imagine, Rhonda was distraught. Um, oh, yeah. You had this, um, this elected official, this district attorney, that was supposed to fight for justice. And basically he told her, you're not, you're not supposed to call me. I know nothing about your daughter. I know nothing about the case and ended the call. So she took to social media. She told everybody what happened. And Katie was loved in this community. Very loved. Yeah, absolutely loved. So there, there was an outrage. I saw and, her um, pictures on your, on, you know, I joined your Facebook group and I invited Robert and, 
uh, Philip to join. And I invited a couple of my other podcast friends. So you may be getting calls to, to go on some other shows from this. I'll, and I'll tell, tell my you story to anybody, anytime. Your wife, from the pictures I've seen and everything you have on there, your wife was a lovely lady. Beautiful and inside and this. out. Beautiful inside and out. Yes. That's and what, so, I, you can uh, always tell, you know? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. She was, um, truly was one of a kind. And so, and I, um, people were outraged at Brett's reaction. Um, Good. And they started to comment on social media, right? And um, right. that led to Brett giving me a call. So I get a call from the district attorney. I'm thinking, great, um, we're, we're going to talk about the case. We're going to talk about what's going on. We're going to talk about getting justice uh, and putting this guy in jail. You know, we're, we're th this is it, you know, and um, Brett called me to complain about how he's being treated on Facebook. Um, oh, so he's more in, 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 he's more important than justice. He's treating a victim that way. Absolutely. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know how angry that makes me. Very narcissistic and very juvenile. And so I was very naive back then. I, I apologized to him and said, I, I, I will do what I can to, to try to curtail this. And then, um, you didn't People, owe him any apologies. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, but again, had I, had I had known what I know now, then um, I think it would have been a much different conversation. And so well, I think you were figuring that if you're nice to him, he's going to help you with your case. That's well, a lot of people would figure out, well, I don't want to antagonize the district attorney because then he's going to ignore my case, but he was planning on doing that anyway. He was, but I mean, it's, it's, it's just treating somebody at the onset with respect and dignity right? and dignity. That's it. And um, he provided us none of that. So it went on for two more weeks and he called me again and complained again about social media. And um, then finally, so that's the first, you know, first two out of three times that I spoke with Brett Smith. Um, it was about his presence on social media and how uh, my family and Katie's friends were um, painting him. And um, he deserved how every he single bit of it. Him. He deserved every single bit of it. He should have been I am a lot more active in this case from the very beginning. And um, You know how when Judge Judy will say, I have zero sympathy for you when the person yeah. is a real doofus? That's how I'm feeling about this man right now. I think you're spot on, Barry. So <laughs> we finally had a meeting in June. Um, again, April's when Katie was hit, when we both were hit and Katie was killed. June is when we had our meeting with the district attorney. So myself, Katie's mom, Rhonda Nail, Katie's dad, Tony Tipton, one of Katie's siblings, her brother, Logan Nail, were at this meeting along with uh, Brett Smith and two other prosecutors from the DA's office, uh, Laura Wheeler and Don Hoover. So mm. started out that meeting, um, Barry, they had never met Katie. And if we're going to have a meeting about getting justice for her, 
I think that they ought to meet her, right? So I had all these pictures. And I was passing around pictures and I was showing them pictures of my wife, pictures of my wife and I on our wedding day, pictures of Katie and the kids, pictures of Katie and her brother and sisters, uh, pictures of Katie with her mom, with, with her dad. I wanted them to get to know her. You can't fight yes. for somebody if you don't know them. Um, the two prosecutors in that room, Don and Laura, looked at all the pictures and Brett uh, wasn't sitting at the table. He had his arms crossed and he was leaning against a wall. And when they tried to give him the pictures, he said, no, I've seen everything I need to see on Facebook. Oh. And um, I told him that he's going to have to wait. He's going to have to let me finish. And then if, you know, what, whatever he has to say, then he can go ahead and say it. I got through and then um, that's when Brett immediately turned to Rhonda, Katie's mom. Again, he just lost her daughter two months prior. And yeah. went on just a, he, he went on and on about social media, um, was angry, wow. said, I, you know, you guys, I've never seen anything like this before. The way you guys are treating me, the way I'm being portrayed. Um, and um, that was. What an SOB, I swear. He is. <laughs> and so when he was done, um, he looked at Rhonda and told her to call off her jihad. Okay. Um, <laughs> very odd choice of words. He thought it was funny and he let out a laugh and everybody else. Call off, what, what, what? Call off what? Call off her jihad against him. Oh, oh my tact. God. What a garbage man. That our district attorney in Grayson County has. So. Oh. The, uh, and we think our mayor Cantrell is bad. <laughs> we we finished our, oh. our, our meeting um, and we still felt indifferent about what was going to happen. We didn't know, of course. You know, the meeting didn't go as it should have, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, they said that they're going to review it and they'll get back to us. They decided to go ahead. Once again, they'll yeah. look into it. They, they went ahead and um, told me that they were going to bring this in front of a grand jury and they were going to review it. And uh, I met with the first district attorney, Kerry Ashmore, a couple times. Um, he was going to be the prosecutor that tried this, pardon me, not tried the case, but presented the case. Big difference. You don't try cases in front of a grand jury. You present them which is a failure, uh, I think, that Kerry Ashmore made, but I'll get into that here, here later. Uh, but Kerry did tell me that he was going to present all the evidence and that he was going to tell these grand jurors if they, wouldn't, um, if they wouldn't vote him guilty, then they should not vote for an indictment, which that's not what a grand jury does. A grand jury looks at all of the facts, looks at the evidence, exactly. and says, yes, there's something here to move forward. We believe there they needs to be a trial. whether a trial should happen or not. Correct. Yeah. So we don't need to do a half-assed trial to a grand jury. That's 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 not what a right. grand jury is for. So August nineteenth, twenty twenty, is when we had our first grand jury. Okay, um, I was able to testify. Uh, DPS, which is state police, did not recreate the crash at all for some reason still unbeknownst to me unbeknownst to me pardon me 
Um, so they had a third party recreate the crash. Uh, somebody from that office uh, testified in front of the grand jury. And then um, Tariq Falcati, the DPS officer, testified in front of the grand jury. Now, Barry, um, grand jury in Texas consists of 12 people, okay? That day, we only had 10. So we didn't have 12. We had 10. Um, one person called in sick. And another wow. person uh, recused them themselves. When I asked the prosecutor where the alternates were, uh, he sh he shrugged shrugged his shoulders. Didn't know. Didn't know. So after deliberating, the grand jury no build this case. And Barry, um, again, we only had twelve grand jurors. We don't know what was presented to the grand jury. And the DA's office never pulled phone records, okay, uh, which are going to come in very important here here in a minute. But with all the facts laid out, the fact that Corey Foster admittedly drove blind for three-tenths of a mile, told DPS that he could not see when he left his driveway. It's three-tenths of a mile. If you go 32 miles per hour, that's 38 seconds. Drove blind for 38 seconds, crossed over the roadway, and was cognitively impaired by the alcohol that he um, had consumed or was consuming, crossed over the roadway and hit two people. You tell me, is that recklessness? Absolutely. That is. What were the road conditions? Was it a foggy day? No. He, his, 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 his excuse was the sun glare hit his windshield, and his windshield was too foggy for him to see out of. So there was condensation on the windshield that he didn't take the time to clear it off. And the sun it, was hitting the that, windshield. Is that why vehicles come with those little window washers and they also come with sun visors? And they come with defrosters, right? And they come with defrosters, exactly. So he was That's not- That's not a good excuse at all. Well, and Barry, something else, that, um, that third party that the county hired, right? That um, reconstructed this crash. Uh, the grand jury was on the 19th. Their final report wasn't finished until the 25th. Uh, that final report was damning against Corey Foster. Damning. Um, put all the liability on him. Um, made statements that, you know, the weather conditions are the, doesn't, doesn't matter, rain, rain, sleet, or snow. Um, the weather conditions have no bearing on, um, you know, what happened, that it's the driver's responsibility and painted a picture of recklessness. But that wasn't presented to the grand jury because that report wasn't finalized till six days later. I'd also like to say this, um, that grand jury hearing was on the 19th, which is on a Tuesday, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. that, that Sunday, the prosecutor who presented that case Carrie Ashmore, along with an assistant prosecutor, Nathan Young, um, had a pool party over at Carrie Ashmore's house. Okay. Carrie Ashmore's oh. wife is also the uh, district clerk. She controls the jury pool, right? They right. had a party over at their house with friends. 
and uh, put it on Facebook. And um, in that in that picture is one of the impaneled grand jurors. This was a person that oh, was serving really? on the grand jury, had served for a month or two before, and served for four or five months after. Now, so there's conflict of interest everywhere around this, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Now, does does having um, does does having a juror at a party thrown by prosecutors who re who regularly present cases in front of a grand jury, and having again in a panel grand jury at that party, does that give you the feeling of an impartial justice system at all? Because it doesn't. It gives me it, it it gives me the feeling of a kangaroo court. Absolutely. So, Barry, we um, we were very hypercritical of all parties involved, of DPS, mm -hmm. of Brett Smith, of Kerry Ashmore, of Nathan Young, of everybody. So um, our family has a civil lawsuit against Corey Foster, and through the civil discovery process, we obtained his cell phone records. And those records show that, which again, Brett Smith, district attorney, and Carrie Ashmore both said that they would request those cell phone records and they would look into them and they'd get that taken care of. They were supposed to have them prior to uh, the first grand jury. I don't know how long it takes to get cell phone records. I, I, I assume that if you were a district attorney, you could get those relatively quickly from any carrier. I, I yeah. was wrong. Um, I'm not sure if you need a court order or anything. I think to get you can that, get a subpoena to, to, to get those and not have a problem, especially. If nobody can get a court order or a subpoena easier than a district attorney. Absolutely. So my civil attorney, um, again, 18 months later, got the phone records, which the, the DA did not do, even though they told us that they were, did not do, failed to do, or really, to be honest with you, Barry, didn't want to do. So that's what it is. They didn't want to do it. No. So they, they got the cell phone. We, we got the cell phone records and um, Barry, he placed a call to a 903 number. That's our area code approximately 31 seconds before he called 911. Okay. Now um, he was on the phone. When he, he was, he was dialing a number as he crossed over the roadway to hit us. That's shady. Um, so what had happened, um, we went back and created a timeline. The only plausible timeline that makes sense and corroborates with what he told DPS, which was DPS asked him on the body camera, what happened uh, when you realized that you hit them? He said, I got out of my car. I saw I hit him and I called 911. He didn't say he called another number. He said he called 911. Okay. And, um, so the timeline that we put together, the only plausible timeline that makes any sense at all, Barry, is that as he was traveling down the road, and remember, it's 38 seconds from his driveway to the point of impact, okay? Um, yeah. And the only plausible timeline is that as he was manually dialing this number, which was a number to a friend's mom, because he was picking up some guys to go perform work. Okay. And he was calling his friend's mom to see where these men were, that he can go pick them up, that they can go work. He was dialing this number. So paint this picture for you. He can't see out of his windshield because of the condensation and the sun 
hitting it, blinding him, right? He was yeah. cognitively impaired because of the alcohol in his system. And I'll let you know the day before was 420. So we don't know what else was in his system, but a blood test would have would have um, answered that question. 420, so, <laughs> that tells you something right there. Blind, cognitively impaired, and he was dialing this number, so he was manually d- distracted. Couldn't see. So he was on his phone, too, to add insult to injury. And as he was dialing the number and hit call, he crossed over the roadway and hit us. Now, he would tell DPS that he couldn't see, didn't know what he hit, thought he hit a telephone pole. And bearing, he didn't slam on his brakes, he came to a rolling stop. Any normal person in a normal state of mind would have slammed on their brakes the second that they would have felt or heard an impact. He came to a rolling stop. He had his phone in his hand. He got out of the vehicle. That's about the time that I'm crawling over to Katie, yelling for somebody to call 911. That's when Corey makes the the remarks. I'm sorry, John. I didn't know it was you. I couldn't see. (sighs) I'm yelling for somebody to call the police. Barry, he still has his phone in his hand ends the call and two seconds later dials 911. That's the only timeline that makes sense. We got that information. We gave it to the district attorney. We gave it to Carrie Ashmore. They said that they would review it. I asked them numerous times why they hadn't gotten the phone records before. And they said it was my fault. They said, well, you, you wanted to get this um, tried as soon as possible. Well, hell yeah, I did. Who doesn't want to see the man that still drives up and down the road in front, front of their house. Who doesn't want to see that man in jail? I want to get this taken I would. care of. I, I don't want this man driving up and down this road. I want him in a criminal court. I want him on trial. I don't want this to drag out forever. I mean, so, he committed homicide. He did. And so, but of course that, that was my fault. So, um, they, they had the records and then, um, Barry, I, I get a phone call one day, and it's Kerry Ashmore about 4.30 p.m., okay, 4.30. And he tells me that they're going to take – and just, again, uh, we have been very critical of the DA and DPS throughout this whole process, and um, I, I meant every word of it. And so he calls me at 4.30 p.m., Kerry Ashmore. Uh, the prosecutor that um, presented the the first, uh, pardon me, presented our case to the first grand jury, um, called me and said that they got the phone records and they were going to go ahead and take this and put this in front of a grand jury. And I said, oh, okay, when? He goes, tomorrow morning at, you know, 8, 8.30. And I was like, okay, well, uh, you know, do I need to be there? Again, this is a brand new grand jury. It's been 18 months, right? So they, right. they have no clue about this case. And so he said, no, we're going to present it to him. And if they want any additional information, we'll, we'll, we'll get him anything that they ask for. And then uh, it, it seemed odd. Then we got off the phone, wrote, we ended the call and I thought about it and that didn't, didn't sound right. Didn't sound right at all. Um, I called back to his office. He wouldn't take my calls. I had his cell phone number. I texted him. And um, I ended that he just responded once and just said that, just like I told you on the phone, we're going to give them, you know, these records. And then, you know, if they ask for, for anything else, then we'll, uh, we'll provide it to him. And I told him, I said, I don't want this case to be presented in front of a grand jury 
where you just give them bits and pieces. I want the whole case presented to this new grand jury, along with everything that you didn't present the first time. Um, again, speaking about that report that uh, was dated six days after the, the first grand jury, I want to be right. able to testify. I want the other experts and um, DPS to testify. I want to, I want you to show them the body camera footage, which they, they, they didn't show them all the body camera footage. I want it to be a full grand jury because Barry, what happened last time is they gave him half the, the evidence and then um, didn't, didn't try hard at all. And then I didn't want this second grand jury to just be this new evidence and then them not care about it. And um, he didn't respond to me. So uh, Katie's mom and I went up there about seven 30 in the morning and we demanded to speak to Carrie Ashmore or Brett Smith before they presented this in front of a grand jury, they wouldn't come out and speak to us. And mm. the next thing I know, Carrie Ashmore comes walking out and uh, says, well, it's in the hands of the grand jury. And Barry, we started to question him. Why wouldn't you, you know, what did you show? Why wouldn't you return our calls? You know, why couldn't we testify? And um, he looked at Rhonda, Katie's mom and said, I'm damn good at my job. I don't have to explain myself. He leaves. <sighs> he comes back. 10, 15 minutes later and says, uh, the grand jury is not going to move forward with this. Um, we're done. And Barry, I went off on that man. Um, Good. <laughs> it was two years of just pent up frustration. Um, oh. I can't repeat what I said, but it, it, it emptied out the sheriff's office and they came out to the hallway and um, I got to say my piece to Carrie Ashmore and um, I meant every damn word of it. Uh, that guy's failed my family twice. And I don't think it's a failure on his part. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how a prosecutor could not get this case indicted unless they didn't want to. And we all know that if a prosecutor wants an indictment, a prosecutor gets an indictment. This man did not want to get this case indicted. And I'll tell you this, Barry. So some other things that we found out after, um, the failures of DPS and uh, the Grayson County District Attorney's Office. Brett Smith, who's the DA, okay, he represented the Foster family in a DWI case prior to becoming the District Attorney. He did not tell us. So Corey, Corey's Foster's no family. Of yep, Corey, Corey Foster's family. Uh, they they were prior um, clients of Brett's. Right. Yeah, so it um, seems like this family has a history of alcohol abuse and uh, vehicular issues. Absolutely. And so, Corey, again, uh, as I said before, I uh, believe was close family friends with Sharif Alkatib. I know the wives were close. Uh, you can look at the pictures. I've got one picture of them at Halloween uh, months before Katie was killed. And um, Sharif Alkatib's wife is basically sitting in Corey Foster's lap. And then we find out that Tarif Al-Khatib is related to Brett Smith by marriage. Oh, all, kind, all, all kinds of nonsense here. All huh? kinds. And so, Barry, we um, obviously filed a grievance against uh, Tarif Al-Khatib with DPS. Um, and it went about how you thought it would, would, would go. Um, they said that he was... Um, 
reprimanded, but they couldn't tell us really what for or how because he wasn't suspended. They couldn't release that. And one thing we did find out, um, do you remember that first meeting that I was talking about that um, we yeah. went to yeah. Brett told Rhonda to call out for jihad? Brett made yeah. comments to us and said that uh, missteps were made by Tarif, um, that he shouldn't have, that he should have gotten a blood test, that um, he didn't know why blood wasn't drawn, and that basically. Hamstring. But you heard him say we weren't drawing blood. Sure. So he knew why he he didn't want to. So the the DA pointed the finger at DPS and said they screwed up. Okay. During this grievance process with um, DPS regarding Tarif Alkatib, uh, they came to talk to me. Then they also went to go talk to Brett Smith. And um, when it came down that, um, you know, Tarif had some shortcomings and uh, it was going to be handled internally and that that's pretty much all that they were going to do uh, that that didn't work for me and that didn't work for my family. We demanded answers. The chief of the Texas Highway Patrol came to come speak to us. And again, it went as you would expect, all, all political answers. Um, you know, they circled the wagons. Um, but they did say one thing that's very interesting about Brett Smith. Um, so Brett Smith told us in June of 2020 that Tarif did a horrible job. His report was awful. He should have gotten blood. Don't know why he didn't get blood. And basically it would be Tree's fault if, if, if this case falls, falls apart, right? Because their blood should have been drawn. Internal yeah. Affairs talks to Brett Smith and Brett Smith says that um, Tarif did a fine job. So oh. during an official investigation, um, he contradicts what he tells victims. And then two months after that investigation, he called Rhonda, Katie's mom, and told her that Tarif messed up and Tarif should have gotten blood. So uh, that's our district attorney there. Um, again, no backbone. Um, speaks out of both sides of his mouth. And he is a representation of the ineffectiveness and the incompetence of our Grayson County justice system. Now, I remember when you were, when I was listening to you on Morbid, you said that didn't he lose his election? No. So um, I believe you're probably talking about our county judge, Bill, Bill Majors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Bill Majors, um, he is our county judge, which basically all the county judges, Bill's not a lawyer. Bill's a businessman and all the county judges is just the mayor of the county. That's all. Oh, usually um, judges a lawyer though. That's kind of strange. It's odd. He's, he's just basically, he's the chief administrator of the county. That's just, that's, that's, that's how they, they do it in Texas. So, so that DA is still in office. DA is still in office. Um, he's up for reelection in 2024. Uh, we are. And I hope you are going far and full force and supporting his opponent. Uh, Barry, we have not stopped putting pressure on Brett Smith and we won't stop. We won't stop until he steps down. Um, I don't yeah. want what happened to my family to happen to another family. And exactly. I know that this has happened um, 
So it's happened in Grayson County. It's happened with us. It's, it's happened to others. And it's unacceptable. We need somebody in there that's competent, somebody in there that wants to do the job. Right. Exactly. And uh, what's happening with your family now? How are you? I, I know um, you probably still haven't gotten over it, but how, how are you guys uh, handling it? Are you getting by? Barry, I, I'll, I'll never get over it. Um, I, oh, you I know, think you know. We'll, think that we'll try our best to get through it. Um, she still is the first thing I think about when I wake up. Yeah. And the last thing I think about before I go to sleep. Uh, she yeah. was our rock and she was our glue. Um, and she was taken away much too early. Much too early. She much too early. Mm. She was. Barry, we are going to fight like hell. Uh, you know, we, we got a law passed um, last year. So, oh, great. We got a law, House Bill 558, called Colton's Law. And the spirit of that law is, um, and we, we did it in one session, which is very hard to do, but it was a grassroots movement. Um, you know, thanks to Representative Terry Meza um, and uh, Senator Drew Springer. Um, it was a grassroots effort. There was another family that had a similar. Um, incident happened to their son. Okay. Their son, Colton Carney, his car broke down. He was late for work. So he left his car on the highway and was walking up an on-ramp, I believe. And um, a vehicle hit him, instantly killed him. And um, when the family asked, was there a an alcohol test was, you know, did, did, did somebody test this driver for alcohol or drugs? The officer's response was no, it was too early. No, no one's, no one's intoxicated that early in the morning, which we know from what happened to me and my wife, that it's false. And, um, you know, go ahead. And his mom, Michelle Carney, um, didn't take no for an answer. She thought that this was wrong, and it is wrong. It's wrong down to the core of anybody's values that uh, that man should have been should have been tested. And she didn't like the answer that the that the police had. So um, you can sit around and you can complain about it, uh, or you can do something about it. And she exactly. chose to do something about it. And she emailed. I think there's over 150 representatives in the Texas house and one representative, Terry Mesa responded back to her and said, yeah, I want to help. So together they, they drafted wow. house bill 558, which is called Colton's law. And it's named after Colton Carney, um, Michelle Carney's son that, that was killed. Um, the spirit of that law is that any motorist that hits a pedestrian and causes serious bodily injury or death shall be given a blood test. Yeah, because you know this can happen to any of us. Absolutely. We all walk down the street from, from time to time. And anybody who's wa out walking on the street could get hit and could, this could happen to them. And you know, things have to be done about it. I want you to continue your fight.
Uh, you remember what happened? The lady that founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Look at how they got the laws changed and everything, and how they got uh, you know people uh, the, the drunk driving and DUIs and everything are much more serious now than they were before her. And if you you keep on fighting like you do, you can make some real make a real difference. That's what um, we want to do. We we definitely want yeah. to make as much positive changes as we possibly can. Now you have some links for us, don't you? I do. Um, everything that we put out is on our Justice for Katie Palmer Facebook page, and then Justice for Katie Palmer. I just joined it. Yes, sir. And then on Twitter, and, it's at Palmer John David, and at four F O U R underscore Palmer, which that that at four underscore Palmer is a Justice for Katie Palmer Twitter handle. Now, I added you to my Twitter retweet and likes group. So if you have any new tweets or any new information that you want to go out, we have a lot of people on there that retweet. will retweet your stuff, and it'll go even further out on Twitter. Thank you so much. So Thank I you. Wanted to tell you, I gave you I, I've done that for you. I have sent some invites to your uh your your facebook page to some of my other podcast friends you may be getting some emails or something being invited on some other shows because i want to do everything i can to make sure that you get um you get what you want i'm gonna ask you one little favor can you send some of your links to uh, you got my email now can you send some of your links to my email so i can put them in the show notes i absolutely can yes sir great so anyway I want to thank you, John, for coming on and telling your story. I am full, full supporting you. If you have any new information, anything, and want to come back on, you're welcome. Just tell me. That's all you have to do. Hey, Barry, and, again, I, I know I said it at the very beginning, but I just want to thank you again for allowing me the opportunity to tell Katie's story. Thank you. Thank you. And so uh, our uh, Twitter is a, at a shutters. Uh, Instagram is at Open Shutters Podcast, and our uh, our Facebook page, which you might want to join this too, John. I'll send you an in- invite. Is the official page for Open Shutters a creepy podcast? I want to thank you w- once again, John. You were a great guest. I am glad I'm getting to, to help you tell your story. Sorry about the cats fighting, <laughs> but um, <laughs> until ne- until next week, I want to tell everyone out there: enjoy the view from the Open Shutters. But what is it we say after that, John? Don't fall out the window. <laughs> Unless you all those people that have, uh, the, you know, all those DAs and everything, they can fall out the window as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> all right. I thank you again, John. And you have a very good night, evening. Thank you, Barry. Thank, thank you so much. And I and take care. And I will do, uh, I will do everything I can to help you. I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody.